with one of our groups, we've created a tech lab. So we've basically outfitted a mobile bus that is going cross-country with content primarily around using virtual reality Mm -hmm. to engage students in new and immersive experiences. And I talked to a friend of mine who was at one of the launches of that and explained to me how she went through the module that was around life sciences. And so through the virtual reality headset, you actually dissect a frog. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I feature Intel, Oregon's largest private employer. I spoke with Courtney Martin, Intel's Public Affairs Director, and Fawn Bergen, who leads Intel's water sustainability and carbon footprint programs globally. Intel is also celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Um, My name is Courtney Martin, and I'm the Public Affairs Director at Intel for Oregon, Santa Clara, and Folsom. And I've been at Intel now a little over 10 years. I'm originally from the East Coast, uh, moved to Arizona, and went back to school after working in the nonprofit sector for a while, and uh, completed my MBA at the University of Arizona, where I met several folks from Intel at our Chandler campus. So that definitely presented a new opportunity in terms of um, my previous experiences and interned there and uh, there's a a long story of how I came across the folks at the time that were working in our corporate responsibility group and it just really opened my eyes to all of the opportunities at Intel and just the breadth of work that they cover Um, you know thinking coming from nonprofit background the exciting you know thinking around the the scale of impact in terms of both the technology and the community impact and the education work that Intel was doing at the time and eventually then moved up here to Oregon and have been here for almost 10 years, uh, first as part of the finance organization and then moving into public affairs. Uh, Fawn, what about you? My name is Fawn Bergen and um, I lead Intel's water sustainability and carbon footprint programs globally. I sit in Oregon, which just sort of where my desk is, but I work across the world. Um, I am an Oregon native. I was born here, um, born in a tiny little town called Estacada, (laughs) as you probably drive through (laughs) going up to Mount Hood. Um, I have two kids. We live out in Beaverton. Um, I actually left Oregon uh, in the middle of high school and made a big trip around the U.S. I lived in Florida, which is where I went to college and then to Colorado, and then when Intel hired me a little over four years ago, they gave me the opportunity to come back to Oregon, so I was very excited to take it. And I think just listening to your backgrounds, uh, both of you, you know, hearing this reminds me of uh, my interview with Nike, and Intel encompasses so many different areas that we don't see, and it's the same sort of thing with Nike. There's a lot going on under underneath you know the the shoe industry that we don't see so Intel is much of the same and I mentioned this to um, the two of you before we turn on the microphones but I'll mention it now Uh, my husband works at Intel and has for over 20 years so I know 
what I know about Intel, and it's embarrassing, is would take about one minute uh, because my husband doesn't talk about what he does. So that's why I have the two of you here to talk a little bit about Intel. And in my research, which I do for each of these podcasts, there's a lot of technical stuff. I mean, when you research Intel and Intel's history and what Intel has done, uh, there's all the microchips and microprocessors and all those, and it sort of started making my head spin uh, because there's so much of that. Uh, but I want to start at the beginning, and the beginning is 1968. You guys started the same year that we did, which is kind of cool because we've had some other anniversaries like that. And it was established with Robert Noyce and uh, Gordon Moore. They were colleagues at Fairchild Semiconductor, and that's in California. So they started this company, uh, Integrated Electronics, uh, calling it Intel for short. And it was shortly after that, I think when the company became public, that Andy Grove uh, stepped in. And he's probably the most recognized name when it comes to Intel because he was with the company for so long, president, CEO, uh, and chairman of the board, and he he sounds like a fascinating person. He passed away a few years ago, but everything he brought to the company seems like it's still there with the innovation. Tell me a little bit about the impact that Andy, and even you know Robert and Gordon as well, as they started the company, the impact. Sure. I think you make a great point. And I know for me personally, one of the quotes from our um, founders and Andy that only the paranoid survive is... I wrote that down. Right? Everybody knows that one. (laughs) And I think that goes to the basis of our culture that was created at at that time that has continued to thrive around innovation, around challenging the status quo, Mm -hmm. um, constructively confronting your your peers and your colleagues around um, what are our best methods, what's next, what challenges are we seeing, what's in the future, Mm -hmm. and continuing to reinvent ourselves over the years, reinvest, um, realign our business focus areas around how to best address new and emerging markets. And we've done a lot of those changes in our overall strategy um, that we can talk to in the last couple of years. But I think that the spirit of innovation and the spirit of continuing to challenge and look forward has been with us for those 50 years as defined by what originally started the company. Yeah. Um, And then this year, and we can talk a little more about um, some of our 50th anniversary celebrations, but we had a series of events both internally and externally as a way to really just acknowledge, uh, you know, not only the, the the history in those 50 years, but the folks that work at Intel today mm-hmm. and where they're going to lead us in the next 50 or 100 years. Right. And one of the um, campaigns was around doing something wonderful and winners of wonder. And that was something that when um, Gordon Moore and Bob Noyce founded Intel, it was to ponder what could be possible and to go off and do something wonderful in pursuit of of things that would make the world a better place. Yeah, and that quote that I wrote down, uh, success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure, only the paranoid survive. And one thing also that stuck out about Angie that I read about uh, is that he urged, he was constantly urging, um, you know, the senior staff, senior executives to allow people to test, to test new techniques, new products, new customers, uh, and, and, push regardless of success or failures because with failures 
eventually comes success. And so it seems as though that has been very much a part of Intel's fabric for all these decades, particularly when it comes to new technology. I mean, as a radio station for 50 years, if we were static, you know, we might not be on the air. Uh, so it's the same thing with a company that's been around for 50 years. Yep. Is it sort of an unwritten uh, philosophy or is this something that is talked about often? I, it's definitely talked about often. And I would say looking back over the past few years, so you know, when you joked about your husband working at Intel and what do people know about Intel? And I said, well, my mom knows that we make you know, parts that go into computers, right? right? And everybody knows the laptop. And um, while we're still thrive, very much thriving in that market space and, and having great success, we over the past few years have really aligned our business and the new innovation that we're driving around a couple key factors that are helping us move the business forward into what would be next. And we refer to those focus areas as focusing more around a data-centric strategy. Hmm. So all of the data that is created in this world, how is that going to be used by people, by scientists, by machines to impact the world? And a couple of the areas that we are most laser focused on now revolve around the artificial intelligence, autonomous driving, um, virtual reality, and then 5G networks. So how are all those devices and networks communicating with each other? And so I think the way that kind of that focus area and that continuing to challenge has, has translated is for us to really say and look at where is a company we've had success and what does the future look like for us? Mm-hmm. And I did see that uh, self-driving cars was an area that Intel was trying to take the lead on. And, you know, this is something I was going to bring up later, but it seems pertinent now. You know, those areas of focus there have been, and I, and I alluded to this earlier, there have been areas where Intel has just skyrocketed and succeeded and areas where they've tried and failed. Talk a little bit about those. I mean, I think the failures can be as interesting as the successes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll talk about it from a, just a personal perspective. We started in finance and then now I'm in public affairs. So certainly I haven't been part of, say, for example, a product team right. where we've come in and decided that this is not a a market area that we're going to pursue and we're going to shift resources and focus on something else. Mm -hmm. But what I can talk about is in terms of uh, the learnings, in terms of making a mistake, in terms of acknowledging and bringing forth that something's not working and the value in that in terms of learning from that and failing fast, Mm -hmm. right? You try something, you evaluate it, doesn't work, move on. And certainly there's an acknowledgement, and I've even seen certain managers go to the extent of, I don't want to say rewarding is not the right (laughs) word, but certainly recognizing and acknowledging and uh, the appreciation of that Mm risk-taking and that it doesn't always result in the big win, but acknowledging that if we don't do that, we won't get there. Some of the other innovations come from, and again, I think back to Nike, my conversation with Nike, where they have been in uh, some areas a leader in reducing their waste and finding ways to reduce the amount of water they use and the materials and that sort of thing. And Fawn, having you here, tell me about those because that involves innovation and technology and forward thinking as well. I mean, it's a great point. I think it really aligns with our culture and philosophy as a company that Courtney talked about. Um, You know, we're looking both 
kind of what we should be doing now and then down the road, what we want to be doing to be a leader. And so any of our environmental initiatives have sort of evolved that way. And even if we've achieved a goal, then we're looking to see what is, you know, what are we going to do next? What else should we be doing? What are some of the innovations where it's allowed you to still be at the top of your game, but be mindful of that? Actually, one of our biggest, um, I would say, focus areas related to environmental sustainability is energy conservation. And it's something that we, we invest heavily. And where we found success is that we embed it into our operations. It's not a standalone process. It's not a standalone team. We have engineers. Um, we call them energy champions. They, we have a dedicated budget for conservation, which I think gives the, the folks doing that work the ability to move quickly. They don't have to wait you know, for approvals. They can move quickly and innovate. And so um, having that embedded in our organization, it just it's part of our operations. It's not something that comes later. Mm-hmm. We're we build it in. Um, it's it's a good saving for the company from a cost perspective as well. Right, right. It just becomes part of who you are. Is it the newest building, Roundler Acres? Is that the newest one that was built? Because um, I know it's a fairly new. Y- yeah. So Intel, Oregon, we have four campus locations yeah. uh, down in Aloha, and then we have the three that are more closely clustered: the Roundler Acres campus, okay. Hawthorne Farms, and Jones Farm. Okay. Which is the newest yeah. building by the? Uh, uh, baseball field. So on the Ronler Acres campus, the RA4 building is one of our newest buildings. Yes, and that's the one I've been in because that's the one my husband works. And uh, you can see the innovation there as well, both outside with the water conservation. And it appears, and I think my husband was telling me this, there was a lot of work done around the facility in order to be conscious of the environment as well. So what are some of the things that we're really mindful when Intel was looking to build this facility? We've made a commitment that all of our new buildings will be, be built to lead standards, mm-hmm. which is, you know, incorporates energy conservation, water conservation. Um, we're also building in kind of that smart piece. So we want even our employees to feel connected to their surroundings. Um, so really every aspect of the building was designed with that in mind and, and again, was certified yeah. um, under LEED standards since it complied. Intel is Oregon's largest employer. I think I saw about 18,000. Is that correct? So currently, uh, Intel is Oregon's largest corporate employer, and we have about 20,000 employees 20, across the four campus locations. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, there are lots of folks like my husband who have been there for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. That takes work as well. What do you think it is about the culture at Intel that keeps people there and keeps people inspired? Well, I'll give my perspective and then Fawn, you have different uh, input, but I think there's a couple of things. And one, for me, it's just the breadth of topics that we get to interact with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, granted we're in public affairs, so we generally work across all of the business groups. And here we have everything from our manufacturing, R&D, to all of our product development groups, different labs. And... You know, it may be in the morning that we're working with employees who are trying to set up a donation drive to in the afternoon we're working with, you know, today we have a a meeting with our community advisory panel, which is a group of about 20 external stakeholders from nonprofit, education, local businesses, local government, and quarterly they come in and we have the opportunity to provide them with updates on Intel's business. They get to ask us questions. Um, but just getting to interact with them and talk about what's what's going on at Intel. What are we what are we doing out here, right? 
to then later, you know, meeting with our folks that are in the factories and talking more about our roadmap and product development. And so one thing that I think inspires a lot of people and just keeps it interesting is that it's always something new. Yeah. I mean, the, it is a very learning-rich environment uh, with different opportunities and pretty much every function that you could imagine exists there. Um, and so I think once people start working at Intel, they see that. And either you're, you know, you can be very specialized in an area that continues to you know, push the boundaries and drive that technology innovation, or you can also navigate the company to different groups mm-hmm. and learn basically a whole about a whole new business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with Courtney. <laughs> it's really, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I think I'm a little more rare in that I've worked outside the company longer than I worked at Intel. Um, and so comparing other companies I've worked for, it's, it's two. I mean, I agree with the learning. There's always opportunities to learn something new. You can try different jobs. Um, but it's, it's the learning piece. So it's, it's both. It's also the people that are, that are in Intel. Intel um, really does hire people that are experts in their field. And so um, we challenge each other in a positive way. <laughs> um, but we learn. I learn so much in all the different things that I get to work on. So I'm never bored, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And one other piece, uh, Intel recently announced that ahead of schedule, we've achieved the hiring goals, hiring and retention goals mm-hmm. that we had created for ourselves around diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. um, which is really exciting to me personally. And one of the ways in which Intel continues to create that inclusive culture, culture at work is through our employee resource group program. And so there's over 30 groups at Intel that are employee driven, mm-hmm. um, that uh, provide different opportunities for employees to engage. I'm a member and active in our iGlobe group um, which is the LGBT group at Intel. And they, through those groups, and I know both from my personal experience and from engaging them from the public affairs side, um, provide great opportunities for visibility internally, interacting with the community, connecting you know, with students and sharing your experience. And so I think being at a company of that size where you then can get really personal in small groups, but then have the opportunities that working at, at somewhere like Intel provide yeah. to connect externally as well is really exciting. The main area is in Oregon. I know that there are campuses in Arizona. Are there any other campuses in the United States for Intel? Yeah, so our Oregon location is our largest and most comprehensive site globally. Yeah. Our headquarters are in Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. We have a significant um, site in Folsom, Arizona, and then we have a factory in New Mexico. Yeah. And then our main U.S. sites. Globally. Well, I'll list the main ones that are part of our, how's that? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, So from our factory network, globally, our other significant locations are in Ireland Mm -hmm. and Israel. And then from our, uh, so that's the front end of our factory, so fab manufacturing, and the, the back end of the manufacturing through assembly and test in China, Vietnam, and Malaysia. I'm going to switch gears again. Uh, I did a short interview earlier this year with a couple of musicians from the Oregon Symphony and somebody from Intel. But when folks think of Intel, again, we talked about this, laptops, processors, that sort of thing. But the, the partnership with the Oregon Symphony and Intel was really fascinating to me. And there are other partnerships like that out there that so many people don't know about. I mean, you talked about self-driving cars and other areas. What are those 
areas of innovation uh, and partnerships that Intel is pursuing that that get overlooked in day-to-day stuff. Yeah, I have two actually um, kind of top of mind examples. So one is Intel has been engaging through some of our Internet of Things groups yeah. in the smart cities work that's been happening here in Portland. Tell me about the smart cities <coughs> work because that so, sounds familiar. So we have a <laughs> we have a we have partnership with the city of Portland um, where it's the they have a larger smart city PDX initiative. Mm-hmm. And through that, we've partnered with them to put a series of about 200 sensors on streets in Southeast Portland to help monitor activity on the streets and then be able to use that data to look at issues like flow, safety, and how to really construct the area mm-hmm. to make it um, safer and easier to navigate for cars, pedestrians, bikes, you name it. And so it's utilizing that data in a way that can help inform decisions yeah. to create a better place, if you will. Where are those sensors? I mean, where do you, are they in the uh, signals? Are they in the street? I mean, that's fascinating because I live in Southeast and I'm like, I want to go check that out now. Yeah. I don't know that if you drove down around, <laughs> you would find them. <laughs> I'm going to look now. <laughs> but yes, those are generally yeah. where those types okay. of Okay. And is it just Portland where that smart city work is taking place or are there other communities around the country who have interest in this? Yeah, I know there's definitely communities around the country that are part of this because when we've partnered here locally with organizations, we've gone to some national Mm -hmm. um, events on that. So I know that's more national. Um, Another partnership that I'm thinking about that we just actually learned this week that was confirmed is around education and the use of our technology and how education is delivered in new and exciting ways Mm -hmm. um, that can both support teachers and then engage students. And with one of our groups, we've created a tech lab. So we've basically outfitted a mobile bus that is going cross country with content primarily around using virtual reality mm-hmm. to engage students in new and immersive experiences. Yeah. And I talked to a friend of mine who was at one of the launches of that and explained to me how she went through the module that was around life sciences. And so through the virtual reality headset, you actually dissect a frog. Uh-huh. And so just a really cool way that's safer, it's more cost effective, you know, accessible to students, humane to animals, but still allows that scientific exploration um, way to, to engage on that. This type of thing, is this targeted for underserved schools and school districts? That's a great question. So historically, our investments in education and our community outreach has definitely targeted engagement Mm -hmm. with students that are not usually engaged, right? Right. Opening their eyes, providing new opportunities, providing accessibility Mm -hmm. um, to engage students in areas that they may not have had exposure to. So that certainly is a focus. And I can speak specifically to our work. So we do a lot of community engagement related work out in Hillsborough, Mm -hmm. closer to our campus, where we've partnered with the Hillsborough School District Mm -hmm. to get their feedback as well as what schools, you know, where do you think students could benefit from more exposure to STEAM? And how do we then connect our employee base with those students to provide exposure to new opportunities, hands-on experience, and some of the other types of volunteer activities that we do with them? You're listening to Kink's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Courtney Martin and Fawn Bergen in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land River Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land River Portland is a Don Rasmussen company. 
the legendary Portland Institution, serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Courtney Martin, Intel's Public Affairs Director, and Fawn Bergen, who leads Intel's water sustainability and carbon footprint programs globally. Intel is also celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Do you also use that base that you have uh, with Hillsborough Schools to test some of these things out? Or is this later on, once you get everything set, do you bring the kids in, see how they interact? I don't know how the product group yeah. brings folks in. I mean, I know, so through this particular tech lab, they're looking at leaving certain modules behind with mm-hmm. schools. To see um, how they and I think the intention would be to get that feedback, but I don't know yeah. exactly how the product development process happened. Okay. And a great opportunity for schools across the world. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, you know, I've used the headsets on activities like um, stirring a pot or (laughs) cooking or doing things that are fun right right and you think this is really cool but then when you think about this education opportunity or there's one that walks you through the smithsonian Mm. you know how many kids are ever going to get there think of all of the additional people that will have access to this information and that experience yeah that wouldn't otherwise have that Um, and so it really i think gets to the heart of how this technology can benefit a larger community. I think we're definitely at a place where we're working on, there's all this data generated, there's new technology, and how do we create ecosystems to use that in meaningful ways in these new areas? Well, what excites you? Because I know that you're in marketing and PR, but you get to go and see all these things because Mm -hmm. that's how you get to talk about them. Mm -hmm. What's exciting to the two of you when you are exposed to uh, these new technologies? Actually, um, one thing I get personally excited about is when um, we can use technology to benefit the environment because it's it's really kind of two core principles at Intel, obviously the technology, but sustainability. We actually have a partnership here in Oregon with one of the, the hazelnut farmers, the Nash yeah. Farm. Um, we have it's four different um, soil moisture sensors mm-hmm. that they've placed along his orchard. And it gives him access. He, he can pull up the data in real time and see exactly the moisture of the soil, the weather, t- you know, the weather conditions at the field to help him make better decisions when to plant and also if he needs to water. So the, the intent is to save resources. So I, I love that when we are able to tie both of those together. Are there any other ways, uh, technology aspects that you see a- as a betterment around the country or around Oregon? around the world, frankly. Yeah, there's um, there's a partnership that Intel's been doing in with the government in India. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a project I'm directly involved in, um, but it's uh, it was setting up air quality sensors so they mm-hmm. could have real-time data on um, air pollution. And I know there was another water-related one in, I think it was Malaysia, in, in, rice, in the rice fields. So there's just been a, a really interesting... Um, position in trying to help solve some of these challenges. I mean, since I, my day-to-day is working on water, you know, I love where we can bring in, and it may not always be um, Intel technology, but where we can bring technology um, mm-hmm. to help solve some of it, even if it's simple, um, you know, monitoring of, of water flows, doing it wirelessly. We, we've brought some of the, the sort of smart uh, 
technology into our own buildings as well, Mm -hmm. Um, not just kind of uh, in the marketplace, but um, really the intent is to conserve resources and help the employees feel more connected to their building. Um, We've been using an app called Comfy, and what it does is I can pull up on my phone. Mm -hmm. You always have the air conditioning wars in office buildings, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm on the cold side of it usually, Um, but what it does is it allows employees, they just open up the app. Mm -hmm. and they can say this room is too hot or too cold Mm -hmm. and what they're finding because they that they are also collecting the data from this which means that they can make decisions about you know turning lights off in a particular part of the building or using less air conditioning so they are actually seeing that this is saving um, energy so they can look at the trends of what they're exactly employees and where they can adjust exactly The two examples that you mentioned about air quality in India and uh, rice in Malaysia, how did those partnerships come about? Were they, was it because Intel had developed these processes and then went to these folks and said, we have something that might help you? Or was it India saying, we have this problem we need to solve and reaching out to different folks and, and trying to figure that out? How did those sort of partnerships come together. I can speak to the one here in Oregon since I was involved in that. And that was really, um, you know, we're sort of working with that group. It's an Internet of Things group. There's Mm -hmm. a smart agriculture group. And so we've been working with them because we've set a new goal to restore all of our water by the year 2025. So we've been looking for Intel technology. Could we bring these in on these projects that we're supporting? So they told us that they wanted to have a, an application here in Oregon. They were already piloting it in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so they asked, can we help make connections to the farmer? So we worked through the um, what Courtney mentioned, this community advisory group and our local um, and talked to these folks that helped put us in touch with a farmer and and then we developed the relationship from there of hey where would you be willing to let us try this out and you know you get to have this data um, access to the data and it's been a good relationship because not only are they you know piloting the technology and kind of working out the kinks but then they are getting feedback from the farmer and well it would be great if you could add this here or right. you know this you know this maybe needs a little improvement or this is great keep doing this so it's been a really good two-way partnership. So, you know, obviously there are countless applications for technology. Are there folks at Intel, like, in all of these realms, from music to farming to environments? Right, to sports. Are there designated uh, work groups on this, or is something sort of developed and they go, what could we use this for? And, and who should we reach out to to try this out? And then they discover that it can do something else. I mean, certainly here in Oregon, we have representation from all of those business groups, right, across yeah. all of the sectors. And Fawn mentioned our IoT group. And even with that, there's agriculture, there's transportation, there's infrastructure, you know, buildings, manufacturing systems, all types of sectors. Mm-hmm. And as part of the outreach that the business groups do in terms of application, you know, the model that Fawn described here in Oregon, you know, we obviously always need to be thinking about what's the useful application of this. And we're generating so much data right now through devices, creating that information. How do we help, you know, scientists and farmers and teachers and folks interpret that 
make sense of it and use it in a way that's meaningful. And so that's obviously an ongoing conversation with our customers and different um, research partnerships we may have or community partnerships we have in an approach that's collaborative in terms of how we get to that solution. One thing that I also thought about being a spouse of an uh, Intel employee Keep an eye sometimes on the news when PCs were, was it the 90s when the, the use of PCs went down and now we've got, you know, our smartphones. That was, I remember, a tough time for Intel. And there was, okay, how are we going to continue to be relevant for decades to come? And there was, seemed to be a lot of soul searching going on. It's the same thing with us at a radio station. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out how do we continue to thrive in the next decade. Yep. And that's really what gets back to the strategy that we've set around Mm -hmm. focusing on these data-centric businesses. So what I mean by that is, you know, we have our PC market, desktop market, and we continue to innovate there um, from a feature perspective that, that make those attractive for folks. But then the way that our data center business has grown and the cloud and the data that that's generating, how do we then continue to enable new market growth around that? And so when we take an example like autonomous driving, right, there's the car and there's hardware in that, but there's software, there's the data centers that go to supporting it, there's the 5G networks that go to transmitting data between the cars, between the data centers, everywhere. And so that's really where we're looking forward to what's next. And it's really about how Intel's technology powers the cloud and the billions of those smart and connected devices that are communicating and creating all of the data within that to make to make meaningful information with that and apply it it was in the 90s let's see i wrote this down 1991 there have been really only two major marketing campaigns that intel has done but the one that everyone knows and i can hear the the jingle in my head uh, I won't sing it. Bum, bum, uh, bum, bum. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Intel <laughs> Inside. And that really established Intel as a household name, which was um, great because then all of a sudden friends back home, you know, they knew Rick worked at Intel. And all of a sudden they're asking him questions uh, and about all this stuff because all of a sudden people knew about Intel. Living up to that name constantly on, on your mind. We've talked about a lot of different things about the innovation, about reaching out into the community one other aspect really speaks to the core, the scholarships. Is that uh, still a a big part? And why is that important to Intel Mm -hmm. to keep kids engaged? Yep. So I'm glad you mentioned that because we think about our technology innovations, but I think really Intel, and you asked earlier what what keeps people there, is innovations that we've done across all of our work. So Mm -hmm. not only um, the technology, but with our people and our diversity and our policy work and our community engagement that we continue to evolve that. And so for decades, Intel has um, had a focus on education and engaging students and acknowledging um, the need to do that, to really fully develop the pipeline that creates a diverse workforce that can drive diverse work teams that come up with the most innovative and um, comprehensive solutions, right? To address these challenges, we can't have all folks of, with the same background, the same um, experiences addressing them. We need that, that diversity. And from an external perspective, and you mentioned the engagement with, with students, 
one of the biggest ways that we continue to do that is focusing right in our own backyard. So many of um, our community outreach programs, and I'll use Hillsboro as an example, are through our Intel Involved program. And so that's been running for well over 10 years to um, engage nonprofits and schools and Intel employees to volunteer with them in ways that are, are meaningful to them. And that can both be on your individual time, it can be as a team builder, it can be as part of a larger organizational event, and particularly this year for the 50th, we've seen such incredible leadership from some of our site managers and driving those events. And I had the opportunity um, yesterday to participate with some of our, or earlier this week, with some of our executives in a volunteer event where you just, get intel out there folks learn more about the community what's going on the community sees we're there to engage and so one of the ways that we help to you know support that engagement as we can is around the steam education and creating awareness for students around the opportunities so i know last year with um, for example national engineers week and we celebrate that every year we had the partnership with the district again to connect Intel employees with teachers to come out and visit students and they had identified fourth grade as a good target area mm -hmm. right before you're you're losing people who may not think that there's an opportunity there for them or um, exposing students to new ideas to go out and talk about Intel and so that's really showing that opportunity and sharing what those opportunities look like is a big approach that we take. Um, another one of our big community partnerships and Fawn uh, participated in this last year is with ORTOP, so the robotic, Oregon right. Robotics. That's what I was thinking about. And um, we've been sponsoring their competitions for years, and last year the students came on site because their project was had an environmental theme. Mm. And so, Fawn, I don't know if you want to talk a little yeah. bit more about the students that came on site and what was shared with them. Yeah, actually it was a water-related theme. Mm. And so um, this was actually really fun to put together. It was actually a team of us. It was a couple of the environmental engineers from the, the, the work here in Oregon, um, myself and another person from our sustainability team. And, you know, we initially got a couple requests. Can you just meet, meet with us and teach us a little bit more about what you do? And we ended up, because of the, the level of interest, both from the people at Intel that wanted to help participate, as well as the students, we ended up having a, a big event in, in an auditorium on our campus where we had, um, e you know, each person talked a little different flavor. You know, one talked about like water treatment and wetlands, and I talked about sustainability. And it was, I mean, the auditorium was full. It was just so much fun. The kids made like big poster boards. It was just uh, all around. It was great. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always kind of fun when you get to have kids that are interested in what you're talking about, but also it's, it's what we do day to day. And so to have somebody that's kind of enthusiastic about the topic is, yeah. is a really fun event. Sharing the excitement with the, those kids. Exactly. Are there any, you mentioned the Hillsboro uh, School District, are there any universities where there are uh, programs at Intel, not necessarily overseas, but is connected with and there's a partnership there? Mm-hmm. So through our diversity and inclusion team um, within HR, there's certainly a network of universities that they are working with across the country mm -hmm. in order to invest in students, both female and URM students, and support their education background and connecting them to opportunities in technology. So there's that network. Mm -hmm. um, we also here um, in Oregon, I would say, in one example that we 
point to often is a partnership we have with PCC, mm-hmm. um, and they have a microelectronics program there. And so that's been a great partnership over the years where it's addressed a need that they have in terms of educating students, and it's also creating a very direct um, linkage to Intel's manufacturing needs here on site. Well, and you were talking about the diverse workforce, and there are generational differences with how people are using technology. So when you have folks from all different walks of life Mm -hmm. giving their input on how they use it, how they engage with it, um, and what their needs are, you're opening up uh, a world of possibilities. New possibilities, yeah. Yeah. The other thing you touched on is the volunteering, and I had forgot about that because Intel does reward its employees for volunteering. My husband coaches the chess team and the baseball team. He's done that for many years, and that is also huge because, again, it's not just great for the community. It is for the employees as well. Yeah, yeah. every year we do, and we just uh, did this in September, a celebration to acknowledge all the community partners that have been so instrumental in creating those opportunities, as well as the most engaged employees that are driving that. And um, this year, again, we were recognized by the Portland Business Journal as one of the top philanthropic companies in Oregon. And the financial aspect of that is great and obviously very impactful. But one thing that always strikes me is last year we had over 300,000 hours of employee volunteerism in the community. And I, if I recall, that was probably about 40% of total volunteer hours reported by companies. And so um, when we think about that connection, that's a really powerful way to say, you know, here's all these really smart people, really passionate, have all these different skills, and how do we make those connections then out into the community? Uh, one other thing that I saw uh, was 100 Best Companies for Working Mothers. It's yeah. a commitment to families. I'm fresh into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not as fresh as it, it was when I first came back a couple of months ago, but I had a son this year. Congratulations. And so I don't know who votes exactly for that, but if I did, I would definitely um, give us high marks. It's yeah. been really incredible reintegrating both from a company policy side to managerial support to our on-site services support across the board have been amazing. Uh, We'll wrap things up, and I want to ask each of you what you are most excited about, whether it's something that Intel has been doing for years or something new that's about to come out. What excites me the most, and I don't know that a lot of people make this connection, is that Intel as a company, we still have the majority of our research and development, and our advanced manufacturing here in the U.S. And the core of that is here in Hillsboro. And so when I go to work every day, I mean, I think about that, right? You said your husband's there working on research and development, and all of these advances that are being invented and being built to enable the future are really starting right here in Oregon. And it's just to be part of something like that that has such a, a broad scale impact and that, you know, new innovations, whether in education or agriculture or in driving or healthcare, are happening built off of Intel's technology and Intel's advances is really what excites me. Vaughn, what about you? So mine's probably gonna be a little bit closer to my day to day. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, you know, working for a company that, you know, you feel proud to work for and that you think has a really strong place in the future. You know, you wouldn't be excited without that. Um, But, you know, what I'm working on now is related to we set a new water goal last year to restore all of the water that we use by 2025. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, the work to get there has been, it's been fantastic in building new partnerships with um, NGOs. Some of them are really small um, organizations. Some of them are larger, like the Nature Conservancy. Um, So that part has been great. It's been learning a lot about kind of local water challenges and how to address it. So even though it's a global goal, it is extremely local in how we approach it. And so um, even just the, you know, the the partners implement it. You know, sometimes it's farmers. A lot of the, the projects are related to ag. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really fun. And the fact that this is, you know, this is a long-term commitment. It's not just one and done. Um, it makes me excited to come to work every day to get to to get to be part of that. Uh, happy anniversary. Uh, in you town. too. Thank you. And <laughs> thanks for both of you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Courtney Martin and Fawn Bergen. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.